Well, my name is, is Matt Sawada, one of the pastors here. I'm the pastor of adult ministries. And this morning, I get to kind of open my Bible and tell you one of the texts that really has impacted me over the last few years. I've got some friends, these ushers coming forward with Bibles. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in the book of First Thessalonians. And so, you know, when I, when I think of Dr. Paul, and I'm going to, a little asterisk here, I'm going to say Dr. Paul when I'm talking about him, and the Apostle Paul when I'm talking about it. I learned that we've got two Pauls I'm referring to today. And just for clarity, this is Dr. Paul, and then we'll have the Apostle Paul. But when I, when I think of ministry in unreached Muslim contexts, um, I'm really convicted. I, I'm really uh, challenged in a way. You see, for most of my life, and probably most of yours, my faith hasn't put me in a place like they are. My, my faith hasn't put me in a place where persecution was real, where, where faith in Jesus makes you stand out. Because you're deciding day and after day, situation and situation, as to, okay, am I going to be faithful to Christ in this moment? Or am I going to be faithful to myself? And, you know, my life and my livelihood matters in that decision. You know, we've, we've experienced a really comfortable Christianity, which if you look at it from a human perspective, right, it's, this is awesome. It's, it's great. It's, it's easy. It's convenient. It's, it's simple. Being in such a, a Christian, and it's changing, a Christian culture in America. But unfortunately, when I spend time studying this, that's not the Christianity that I read about. It's a little different. This morning, we're going to look at an individual. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul, who was changed by the gospel and traveled extensively sharing this good news to anyone he was able to. Paul was about this gospel. This gospel became his fuel as he traveled on multiple missionary projects. This gospel became his message when he had opportunities to speak into the lives of those around him. This gospel drove his methods and it impacted his motives. You could say that Paul was about this gospel. And so my hope this morning is to, like Paul did with the church in Thessalonica, to remind you of the reality of this gospel and encourage you to see your life as a means to share this gospel with those around you. You see, the apostle Paul was a changed man, dramatically changed. And in the book of Acts, you see this happen. At the end of chapter 7 in the book of Acts, you guys know some of these stories. You see, you see Saul, who will become Paul, as he's a part of Stephen's stoning. He's there approving what's going on. You see Saul in, in chapter 8 begin his conquest to basically end Christianity. He's trying to take these believers and put them into prison. And then by chapter 9, 
you see this guy, Saul, breathing murderous threats about these believers. You could say that at the beginning of chapter 9, this guy, Saul, was a murderous Pharisee attacking Christians. And then 30 verses later, in chapter 9, the book of Acts, the same man was a passionate Christian who was beginning to get this heart for the Gentiles. 30 verses. Life change. Boom. So what's the difference? We just sang about a beautiful name, a wonderful name, a powerful name. The difference was Jesus. Jesus Christ made a difference in the apostle Paul's life. Paul was to, he was exposed in the moment to the glory and the goodness and the holiness of God. In that moment, God wrecked him, saved him, and redeemed him. The same guy, different outlook on life. Totally different, right? Before Christ, it was about his self-promotion as king of his own kingdom. And after Christ, afterwards, he was about gospel proclamation as an ambassador of God's kingdom. Shift happens from my, his focus on self to a focus on those around him, to others. It, Jesus changed his life. Jesus changed his mindset Jesus changed his attitude, his goals, his objectives, his purposes, and his perspective. The gospel changed Paul. Sorry, Apostle Paul. You could say that the gospel has changed Dr. Paul as well. No longer did this apostle Paul have to prove himself. He just had to proclaim the gospel. Now his righteousness no longer hinged on his performance. It hung on a cross. It wasn't about him anymore, Paul. It was about him, Jesus. So this morning, we're, we're going to spend some time looking into a letter that Paul wrote to a church he had planted on his second missionary journey. We're going we're gonna to look at the book of Thessalonians, specifically this letter written to the church in Thessalonica. So in this letter, Paul is writing back to his good friends. He calls them brothers and sisters. He's writing back to this community that, that he knows really well. He spent time there. He served with them. He ministered with them. He lived with them. He worked with them. And he's writing back to remind them of how God used their time together. But before we jump into verse 1, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a question. You see, Dr. P, Dr. Paul, uh, to him, the gospel, this kingdom mindset is why he is in Central Asia. It's about an eternal perspective. He's not there for his own gain, but his, it's this message of hope he's confident can make an eternal difference in those he's meeting. For the Apostle Paul, 
This difference, this shift, this gospel, as I said earlier, becomes his fuel. And it's impacted his, his motives, drives his methods, and becomes his message. Jesus is his model. His life becomes his ministry. For me, this gospel wrecked Matt in 1993. I was at camp in Ocean City, Maryland. And it was in that moment, you know, prior to that moment, I had a very universalist perspective. And I would say that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But it was in that moment I, I realized, wait a sec. No, it's God so loved Matt. And it was for Matt's sin that Jesus died. And that requires a relationship with this person named Jesus Christ. And so it wasn't as dramatic as the Apostle Paul or maybe even Dr. Paul's you know, life transformation, but over the last few years in particular, beginning to see how Jesus really does affect the decisions I make every single day. This gospel changes the way I live. So I'd like to ask you this question this morning. Has this gospel changed you? How has it changed you? How has it changed your outlook on life? Or has it changed your outlook on life? You see, in 1 Thessalonians, we're going to look at a couple different things. We're going to look at Paul's ministry. And we're going to take a glimpse, take a, take a few moments to, to check out what his ministry looked like as he wrote to remind the church in Thessalonica why they lived as they did. Paul is hoping that by exposing his gospel-driven methods, I'm sorry, gospel-driven motives, and by using his gospel-centered ministry as an example, this church would continue to live lives worthy of God. He's holding himself up as the example and saying, guys, imitate me. A lot like Dr. Paul is doing in Central Asia. So open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're just going to kick off in verse 1. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. And take a pause right there. See, Paul is, is setting up the context for his ministry. You can, you can read about this opposition in Acts chapter 16. Acts 16 is the story of, of him in Philippi, where he interacts with Lydia, and she comes to know the Lord. And then they put, they're put in prison, and you see the Philippian jailer come to know the Lord through some, some pretty dramatic circumstances. And then he's asked to leave, because the Romans realize they just have imprisoned and persecuted another Roman. Uh, can you please leave 
This isn't a good thing right now. And so they leave. The, the problem, though, is that when they leave, you have these Philippian Jews who follow them. And they follow them to Thessalonica. And then they continue to cause problems when they land in Berea after Thessalonica. And so the persecution and this, these issues really caused a lot of pain and chaos. And so when he says here in the ESV, I almost phrases it a little bit better. It says, you know, we declared the gospel to you in the midst of much conflict. In the midst of much conflict. This is the, the setting for Paul's ministry in Thessalonica. Conflict. Persecution. Hard rough scenarios. And what you're going to see throughout this whole chapter is there's a couple words that are repeated. As you know. As you know. As you know. Hey, brothers and sisters, do you remember when? As you know. He's reminding them of something. He's going back to when they were together. He's saying, as you know, with the help of our God, this is 2, verse kind of B, second half of B. With the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. He's saying even in the midst of much conflict, we were faithful to communicate this message because of our confidence in who he is. And that confidence in who God is affected Paul deeply. It affected him at the heart level. It affected him at that belief, motive, driving level. You see, the gospel affected Paul's motives. And in verses three through six, he's gonna explain these motives to us. And the way he explains it is kind of fascinating. Um, you know, sometimes to define something, it's, it's helpful to talk about the inverse. If you're doing definition work, it's, you, you describe what it is not to paint a clear picture of what it really is. And so what Paul is doing in these next couple of verses, he's, he's, he's really painting a picture of what a false teacher looked like in those days. And he's saying, hey, we were not like them. We were like this. So you're going to see a lot of these negatives. We were not. We did not. We did not. You'll see that repeated Again, through these three or four verses. So first Thess, chapter two, verse three. Paul says it's, for this appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our heart. And you know that we never used flattery nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. You see, Paul in these couple verses has really painted the picture of the why. He's talking about his motives. Why did he do what he did and we begin to see here that his appeal in verse 3 did not come from error. It wasn't preaching a false gospel. It didn't come from impure motives. It didn't come from, from fear 
or approval or control. There was a purity in the why they were there. It didn't come uh, to please anybody. It was no flattery. It wasn't about buttering them up to receive something. Paul didn't share this gospel to, for the praise or approval of anyone other than his heavenly father. So essentially, Paul wasn't about his buddies, his church planting team. He wasn't about personally gaining from the gospel. Paul wasn't trying to build his own kingdom. He was there because he's had confidence in who God is. He was there because he'd been entrusted with this gospel. And it says he was been approved by God and desired to please God, not people. He wanted to please the God who can test hearts. And he's saying God is our witness. He said only God can see what's going on in here. Only God knows the why behind the what. So Paul wasn't about them personally gaining from the gospel. It was about the vertical purpose as Dr. Paul just shared about kingdom expansion. See, they've been loved and now they get to love. This message was too good to keep quiet. It was too good to, to keep this recipe to themselves. They wanted to share it with anyone they could. So Paul wasn't motivated by, you know, the normal idols, approval, comfort, control, power. They didn't want the glory that God deserves. You know, I, we've got two kids. I've got a son going into seventh grade, a daughter going into fourth grade. And my daughter, Blakely, when she was little, I might have shared this story before. It's too perfect and cute not to. When I would get on the floor at age two with Blakely, Blakely's age two, to help her do something, could be anything. She said this often. She said, no, daddy, I do it my myself. <laughs> no, daddy, I do it all my myself. No, thanks, B. What, can I help you? No, no, daddy, I do it my myself. What she was communicating there was, I want what I want, how I want it. And at age two, she was going to do it her way. <laughs> Some things haven't changed. <laughs> the reality is, is we often tell God the same thing. Hey, God, no, uh, I'm going to do it my myself today. That's, uh, God, I'm, I'm on my own. I'm going to do it my myself. And, when, and then when I began to, to do things motivated from self, I'm often then surprised why there's distance maybe between me and God. Well, hey, God, why didn't you show up in the midst of this? I mean, he's always present, but, but I also just told him I'm going to do it by myself. I'm going to do this out of my own motives. God, I want control of the situation. God, I'm really not doing this for you. I'm doing this for the approval of Dave. You see, when our motives are a little impure 
and as humans, they often always are, when we begin to operate about building our own kingdom rather than his, we're, we're operating alone. It's in these moments that we need to remind ourselves that this world, this life, is not about my glory, it's about his. It's in these moments of self-introspection that we need to call sin, sin. I have got a, I've got a friend, I had it on a sticky note. His name is Garrett Kell, he's a pastor in Virginia, and he wrote the other day, he said, sin will always assure you that small sins are inconsequential. So sin wants to remind you that these small things that you're doing really don't matter. That's what sin and self is trying to preach these lies into us. The, the truth is that the cross assures you that there are no small sins against the great God. We as humans want to put value on what sin is, and God just calls it sin. And when we begin to operate and live for ourselves, guys, that's sin. And now there's a, there's a, there's a repentance that's needed. There's an identification that's needed. God, I've been selfish today. God, I'm living for my own glory, for my own pleasure and my own enjoyment and I need to rehearse truths in that moment. I need to identify the issue. I need to remove the issue and then replace it with truth. I need to call sin, sin, and begin to depend again, and even more so, on the person of Jesus Christ. So in those moments of self-introspection, maybe it's journal time, maybe it's prayer time, maybe it's that quiet walk, Ask yourselves, why do you do what you do? Why, why did I just do that? Have you ever had a conversation and wonder, why did I just say that? I really wasn't trying to do this, insert this. I wasn't trying to do that, but I did it anyways. God, why? What is motivating you? What are the underlying beliefs and needs that drive those actions? Why does my house need to look perfect? Or why am I working three jobs at the detriment of my family? Why, why are sports more important than anything else? Or why is it important that I have these new clothes? We just sang a song a little bit ago, we're no longer slaves to fear. Let me tell you, you are no longer a slave to fear if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Do you believe that? So fear is a motive that begins to drive why we do what we do. And Paul doesn't stop just at this heart layer. He actually takes a step and begins to talk about what this actually looks like. What does it look like to live this pure Life as ministry. Verses 7 through 12. Paul tells us, Instead, 
Instead, we could have authority, you know, verse six, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. I love this. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know, there it is again, for you know, that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into kingdom, into his kingdom and glory. So if we want to know what it looks like to live and do ministry as our lives from a pure place, Paul paints a pretty clear picture for us. And he uses phrases, he uses word pictures that, that help. He tells us in verse 7, what does it look like? It looks like young children. We lived like a young child among you. You think of a young child, I think of Balin right there. There's an innocence, there's a, a need, right? He, is, he needs his dad in this moment. There's a, there's a humility that comes with these kids because, unlike my daughter, they don't know better. I do it my myself. They're not authoritative, typically. So there's this innocence and humility. He tells us in verse 8, he says, hey, we loved you like a nursing mother cares for her children. He starts with the kid. Now he's talking about this nursing mom. You think of a nursing mom, she's gentle. It's about as unselfish of an illustration as you can get. There's an unconditional love that's communicated these moms and kids. It's, it's beautiful. I remember Robin waking up in the middle of the night because she heard the kid like roll over. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I, that kid could be right next to me screaming and I'm still asleep. <laughs> but yet Robin loved that kid by listening to their whimpers, to their cries, to their screams. And she selflessly met those needs. This nursing mother is just a beautiful picture of what Ed, Dr. Ed talked about last week. He was talking about, you know, oftentimes the best form of loving someone is just listening. Robin listened to those kids in a way that I didn't. So Paul's saying, hey, we cared for you gently, unselfishly. We listened to you and we loved you. And then verse 8 tells us that this nursing mother loves so much that they share the gospel as well as their life. 
Because you've become so dear to us. And so because of this gospel, we've been able to love you, Paul is saying. He's saying you're not a message target. You don't have the bullseye on your back and we zinged a gospel presentation at you. No, we got to know you and we loved you and allowed our life to reinforce that message. Do you love the people around you enough? Do you care deeply enough to know them and share truth with them? So we see in verse nine then that they weren't a burden. They worked hard day and night and they toiled and they labored. These men worked with leather. They made tents, they made different things. They worked hard and then preached in the context of life. There was a diligence to what they did. And so then in verse 10, when he says that we lived holy and blameless and righteously among you, they lived with integrity. Do you begin to see this picture that I'm painting? Humility, innocence, unconditional love and gentleness, diligence, integrity, righteousness. Who am I describing? Jesus. Jesus. What you begin to see here is that Paul came to share his life, not just a message, just like Jesus did. Jesus came to share his life, not just a message. And he did this like a a child, like a mom, and he did this like a father. And he was encouraging, comforting, and challenging these people. He spoke life. As Dr. Paul just prayed, we speak life into people with our words, and we rehearse truths. It's a good study. Read through 1 Thess chapter 2 and look at all of the verbal verbs that are mentioned. These people spoke about Jesus. And they did it in encouraging ways and in comforting ways and in challenging ways. My guess is it happened in question answer. My guess is it happened in inclusion. My guess is that it happened at the dinner table and it happened in formal settings. But they spoke about Jesus. And they spoke life like a father would into the people around them. So Jesus loves and lives this way. Paul loves and lives this way. How are you doing at loving and living this way? You see, every one of us is motivated by something. In conclusion, I'd like to ask you three questions. The first is, why do you do what you do? Have you ever stopped to ponder why you're doing something in this moment? Why? Why haven't you stopped to ponder about that? What does this look like? What is it? What is that motive that is driving you in the moment? What does it actually look like when it's played out with flesh on it? What if we were like the Apostle Paul, and driven by this gospel message that we've been loved and so now we get to love. It's a get to. Within the sphere of influence God has placed you in, 
What if our love that we've received drove us to love those others well? What would that look like? And lastly, what are you giving your life to? Jesus gave his life to share life and to communicate a message. Paul, the Apostle Paul, gave his life to to love well and to communicate a message. Dr. Paul has committed his life to share a message. What, What have you committed your life to? What does it look like tomorrow to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel to which you've been called? You know, to many of us, to all of us, we don't do this perfectly. And this is where we oftentimes allow guilt and shame to motivate us. And those are not fruits of God's spirit. In those moments, confess that. Identify it. Call it what it is. There's power in that. And then believe the counter truth that Christ preaches to us. Christ is worth it. He's loved you so much that he was willing to share with you not only the gospel, but his life as well. These truth talks that Paul had with this church, I'm going to encourage you to connect into community. Have these truth talks with your spouses, with your friends, with your life groups, with your ABFs, with your neighbors. When you begin to talk at a heart level with people, man, God begins changing lives. Be a person who uses their words intentionally. We've been given the opportunity as people who are wrecked, saved, and redeemed to extend grace to those who aren't. Don't waste these minutes, these opportunities. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the worship team coming up. We're going to sing this last song, uh, Take My Life and Let It Be, all for you and for your glory. And as I pray, if, if there's a motive that God exposed this morning, I would encourage you, there'll be a couple here under this cross uh, that would love to pray through some of that with you. All right, don't do this alone. Um, Come up, pray, write it on that card, and we as a staff will be praying for you this week. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the life, the death, and the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the way he modeled this for Paul. Father, Jesus took on the form of a human. He didn't consider equality with you something to be grasped, but he became obedient even to death on a cross. And Father, Paul did the same thing. Lord, he lived this life that just embodied selflessness. So Lord, I pray to that end for us. I pray tomorrow or even this evening that we could love with impure motives. I'm sorry, we could love with pure motives. Uh, Keep us from those impure ones. Father, we thank you again for your son and just for the, the life he's given up for us. And we commit this last song and this morning to you. You know what a privilege it is to be able to live our lives on his behalf. 
Lord, I pray for my friends in this room that we would leave today living lives that just represent ceaseless praise. So, Father, take our lives and let them be consecrated all to thee. Father, here we are. Use us as we go forth. LEFC, I love you guys. Have a great day.